Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything but only faith working itself through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision... Why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. This is the reading of God's word, and every bit of it is true. And he gives it to us because he loves us. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we, are, uh, we grieve, don't we? You read the news, you grieve. You grieve over what's going on in Israel. You grieve over what's been going on in Ukraine for almost the last two years. But there's something else that you do. You protest. You protest any time anyone has a loss of freedom. We don't like it when people lose their freedom. And so we stand up against it, right? Do you watch football? Right? Do you watch the NFL? Have you ever noticed what's printed in big letters inside the end zone sometimes? Here's what it says. End racism. Right? You know what that is? That's a protest. You're protesting that someone is losing freedom. And so Paul is writing to the Galatians. And he's telling them, you got to protest this. You got to stand up against what's happening in yourself. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm. Stand up and protest any threat to freedom in Christ. Now, the Galatian situation was the false teachers were teaching them that they needed to become circumcised and obey the whole moral law of Moses so that their faith could be culturally and socially accepted. Jesus was not enough. You needed to obey God in every way. And under this pressure, the Galatians were becoming slaves and they were losing their freedom and they didn't know it. They didn't see how subtly their freedom was slipping away from them and how dangerous it was. And Paul describes this loss of freedom, interestingly, in verse 4, He says, you have fallen away from grace. (laughs) 
You know, when we think about someone who has fallen away from grace, we think of somebody whose life has gone off the rails. They've gone into self-indulgence, licentious living, drugs, sex, violence. I mean, they're just so far gone that they're just falling away from grace. But Paul is applying this phrase to religious church-going people who are using their goodness to justify themselves. I mean, imagine walking into a large Protestant church and going up to the congregation or up to the leaders and saying to them, you guys have fallen from grace. And they would go, what are you talking about? That's not even possible. I mean, we're all about grace, right? The Galatians were losing their freedom and they didn't know it. Is it possible that we're more blind than we think? Is it possible that we're losing freedom in Christ and we don't really know it? Let's look at this together. Take your sermon outline. First, the loss of freedom. The gospel produces a freedom that can be lost. The gospel gives us an objective freedom from the curse and the condemnation of the law, from the penalty of sin, but there also comes with it a subjective freedom, which consists of a whole new motivation and reason for doing everything, a whole new reason and motivation for obeying God and living. Now, objective freedom is our status, it's our identity, it's who we are in Christ. Subjective freedom is applying the gospel to all of life. Now, to be clear, the Galatians weren't losing their salvation, but they were losing their gospel freedom. Freedom is most often understood as being able to do what you most want to do. Paul is saying, in the gospel, and only in the gospel, pleasing and obeying God for the first time becomes what you actually most want to do. That in the gospel, you finally get a freedom and a power that's placed into your life that puts you into kind of a dance by which you become most free to be who you truly need to be and most free in the world around you. That is freedom. In verse six, he says, for in Christ... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision have any value. That neither one of them count. Need a little hydration here. Because now I'm going to talk about circumcision. So circumcision was the cutting of the foreskin on males. But it represented being part of the covenant. And what Paul is doing here by saying neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts is he's using it in a representative way. He's saying this represents a whole ideology, a whole way of living, thinking, feeling, acting. All right? So think of it this way. When you see the communist flag, when you see the hammer and the sickle, when you see that flag, you don't just think about a flag. You think about everything it represents. It represents a communist way of living, the way it affects the entire culture, the way it affects the leadership and all the people. You think of it in a representative way. 
So how can this circumcision mentality for the Galatians be a loss of freedom? Well, they were pagan idol worshipers. They were not Jewish. So the false teachers who were Jewish were urging them to adopt the whole mosaic system as a way to come to God and for a power for all of life. But Paul says to them, don't go back and do this again. And this word again is important. Paul is saying that to go into a legalistic religion is just as much a yoke of slavery as old paganism. It's just one more form of idolatry. Paganism had been hard on them. Paganism was full of sexual abuse and licentious living and addictions and and hate and pain. It was demanding. It was grinding on them. It enslaved them. And it cannot forgive you and it cannot fulfill you. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Most people think that the role of religion is to call people away from licentious living and self-indulgence into a life of moral responsibility where you have to obey the rules. You have to try really hard to be a good person. Paul is saying that's not Christianity. He's saying the gospel is the end of religion. So they had been these licentious pagans And now they're going to become these conservative religious people. And Paul's saying they're both slavery. It's important to see how he says this. He says, neither one of these ways count. You're trying to get value from them, he's saying, and they don't count. What does that mean? Every person, whether you're religious or not, is trying to figure out a way to count. You're trying to figure out a way to feel significant. You're trying to figure out a way to feel like you have worth in life. The Bible calls it righteousness. We are trying to convince ourselves and others that we are worthy and significant. Now, non-religious people do this with careers and sex and money and materialism. Religious people do this through moral performance, by serving others and looking for applause, And by self-righteously looking down on those uncircumcised people with disdain. And Paul says, if you're circumcised, then you're going to have to obey the whole law. Now, there's nothing wrong with God's moral laws. The law of God is good. It is beautiful. It is pure. But Paul says it's the reason you're trying to obey the law The reason is you're trying to justify yourself by obeying the law. And the law does not have the power to justify you. We are losing our freedom all the time. We are constantly living in the ups and the downs of pride in our doing or discouragement over failure. I mean, we can be floating in success in some area of our life and boasting about it, or we are completely disillusioned and discouraged by our failure to be able to do anything. We go from wallowing in self-pity and self-loathing to the heights of boasting about everything that we do. Luther says it this way. For human beings by nature, 
when they get near criticism, insecurity, a wounded ego, or failure, will of necessity view their own worthiness. We defend ourselves before all threats by recounting our good deeds and moral efforts. But then the remembrance of sin and flaws inevitably comes to mind, and this tears us apart, and we think, how many errors and sins and wrongs have I done? But the real evil is that we trust our own power to be righteous and we will not lift our eyes to see what has been done for us in Christ. So uh, years ago, I uh, went out of town to preach at another church and um, I got done preaching at this church and, you know, it went okay, I guess. And, and I got in my car, I was by myself, I was gonna drive home. I get in my car, I'm sitting in the church parking lot And I look around, there's nobody around, and I yell as loud as I can to myself. You suck, Jones. You suck. (laughs) So why did I have this moment of self-loathing? Because I was looking to my performance to count. I was looking to my performance to be somehow appreciated or celebrated or just maybe give me a little bit of self-love on the way out the door. I wanted it to count for something. For me, that's a loss of freedom. That's slavery. When we make goodness in anything our Savior, we will expect a payoff. We'll expect for it to count. And when it does not, we will experience confusion and rage. I mean, think about the older brother in Luke 15. He says to the father, look, all these years I've slaved away for you. I've worked so hard, father, and you never even killed the fatted calf for me. But this son of yours comes home and you throw this big party. What's the older brother saying? I did it right. Where's my payoff? Where's it going to count for me? Confusion and rage. Paul's statement here is just breathtaking. He says, in Christ." What he's saying is in Christ, neither good nor bad performance can make any difference in my relationship with Christ, myself, and others. The gospel freedom means that when I have success, it does not increase his love for me. And I don't have to have success in order to feel alive. And when I fail, I don't have to hide it and make excuses and blame other people I can be open and free about it because it doesn't own me. It doesn't rule over me. So neither success or failure have any power over me. I love how Tim Keller puts it in his book, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. He says, friends, wouldn't you like to be the kind of person who does not need honor nor is afraid of it. Someone who does not lust for recognition, nor, on the other hand, is frightened to death of it. Don't you want to be the kind of person who, when they see themselves in the mirror or reflected in the shop window, 
does not overly admire what they see, but does not cringe either? Wouldn't you like to be the type of person who, in their imaginary life, does not sit around fantasizing about hitting self-esteem home runs or daydreaming about successes that would give you an edge over others? Or perhaps you tend to beat yourself up and to be tormented by regrets. Wouldn't you like to be free of them? Wouldn't you like to be the skater who wins the silver yet is thrilled about those triple jumps the gold medal winner did? To love it in a way that you love the sunrise, just to love the fact that it was done. For it did not matter whether it was their success or your success. Not to care if they did it or you did it. You are just as happy that it was done as if you had done it yourself. Wouldn't you like to be that kind of person? Wouldn't you like to be that free? Second, the evidence of freedom. Paul says something that is really simple uh, and profound. He says to them, he says, okay, all right, Galatians. So you want to count for something, right? You want to do something that counts? You want to do something that has value? He goes, I'm, I'm going to give you something. So this is what he says. He says, the only thing that counts is faith working itself through love. The only thing that counts is a gospel rest of faith that expresses itself through love. He says, the natural result of gospel freedom is an overflowing expression of love in obedience to God's commandments to love God and to love your neighbor. Now, in the circumcision mentality, all the moral laws and the standards, we will use them and we will impose them on other people to accuse and coerce them. We will use and abuse others to help us in our self-salvation project, our self-counting project to feel worth. And so we will hurt and we will envy and we will punish and we will manipulate others to rescue ourselves. When we are in competition to make our lives count, to feel worthy, we will not be free to truly love other people. In fact, at the end of this chapter, Paul says that they are biting and they are devouring one another. Loss of freedom results and shows itself in bitterness, grudges, resentment, and envy. We hold an edge. We feel like we have to in order to make our life count. And so something like this could happen. You say, that person hurt me. So I am going to withhold love from them because it makes me feel validated. I'm going to take the high moral ground and I'm going to accuse them in my thoughts. And I'm going to hold them on trial. I'm going to hold them captive. And I'm going to feel resistance whenever I think of them or talk to them. I've done that with my sister. I've done that with my family. I've done that with church staff. I've done that with some of you guys. And every time I'm doing it, I never feel free. 
I always feel like a slave. And so do you. Do you know that? Do you know that loss of freedom? The gospel brings a freedom to love. A freedom to love those who've hurt you, harmed you, who are against you, who don't think like you, who don't vote like you, because you no longer need them. You no longer need them to be your opposition, to make you feel like you count. He says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love counts because it's evidence that a person is truly set free. So what does this look like? It means you're free to repent. It means you're free to forgive. You're free to let go of hurt. You're free to reconcile. You're free to not have to pay back. You're free to leave the courtroom. You're free to to fire your prosecuting attorney, the one that lives inside of you, that prosecutes you, and the one that prosecutes other people. You can fire them. You can get them off of your payroll. That's the evidence of a free person. You know, years ago, well, not years ago, um, I I have a friend uh, who's not a Christian, and, uh, I mean, we've been friends for over 20 years. And um, we have a, we share a, a similar interest. And uh, years ago, we were both really, really involved in this similar interest. And uh, he uh, said something and he did something that hurt me and my family. Now, it wasn't big hurt, but it was enough to awaken my childishness to want to make him Hey. So we were still friendly, but I held a grudge against him, and his comments and his decision literally got in the way and blocked me from making my life count in a way I wanted my life to count. Now, I replayed this wrongdoing in my mind with him, and um, I played the victim. And then God broke me. And this man uh, became very ill, near death. And he was to go to surgery for them to save his life. And so I wrote him a handwritten letter uh, telling him I would pray for him and telling him also of my hard heart towards him and my grudge and my resentment. And I repented to him and I asked that he would please forgive me. And then I went to the hospital and uh, asked him if he'd gotten my letter, and we talked about it, and, uh, and he wept. And I wept. And I walked out of that hospital room, and you know what happened to me? I was free. I was free. So find your edge against others. Your lack of forgiveness, your burning resentment, your rants, your envy, and find your way back to your self-righteousness, the places where you're you're leveraging your life to count. There is a direct connection from our failures to love and our efforts to justify ourselves always. Always. And it always results in a loss of freedom. 
So where do you get the power to love like this? Paul says in verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves are eagerly waiting for a hope of righteousness. Paul says the freedom to love comes because there is this hope of righteousness that we are eagerly waiting for, that we are leaning into with hope. Now, is this just the mental assent to the fact that, well, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm a Christian. I'm going to die. I'm going to go to heaven. No, because the language is way too vivid for just that. He's talking about a spiritual discipline of applying the gospel to our life. He's talking about developing this frame of heart where you're eagerly and you're passionately turning over in your mind who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ so much so that it actually, it actually enlarges your capacity. It, it makes you gospel secure such that your heart is sloshing over with love towards others. For, uh, for over 10 years, Charles Wesley Mumby was a nurse's aide caring for the sick, the dying, in a hospital and a hospice. And um, so this guy is a nurse's aide. He didn't have the status of a nurse, right? He's just doing all the dirty work. He's doing bedpans. He's changing beds. He's mopping floors. He's cleaning up, uh, cleaning up all that stuff. And uh, everybody who worked with him said, this guy was amazing. He worked with such joy and freedom and security. And he didn't mind taking the low position. He never minded doing the worst jobs. And they said that even when uh, patients would, would hurl racial slurs at him, he would actually put more effort into taking care of those people. His supervisor said he had never had a nurse's aide who would do this kind of dirty work with such joy and freedom. But now we know the truth. <laughs> now we know his little secret. Charles Wesley Mumby is a king. He was summoned back to Africa to take his place as king in his nation. All the time that he worked as a nurse's aide in that low position, loving and serving, even loving his enemy, all that time, he knew he was a king, but nobody else did. He knew he was a royal son of his nation. And it empowered him to even love his enemies and to take the low spot. Do you know who you are? Do you know that in Christ you are a child of the reigning king of kings? That's your hope. That's your power. That's your freedom to love. And finally, the offense of freedom. This is a thirsty sermon, I tell you. He says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. 
Now, what does this mean? What he's saying is this. If I am still preaching circumcision as a whole way of doing life, a way of striving to validate yourself, to make your life count, if that's what I'm preaching, well, then nobody's going to be against me. Nobody's going to persecute you for that. No one's going to be against you if you're preaching a message of human superiority and human ability. He says, if I'm going around to all the churches, to all the good, upright, moral people and telling them what a good job they're doing by being good Christians, he says, nobody's going to oppose that message. But I'm preaching the cross. He says, the cross is offensive. So how is the cross offensive? The cross is offensive because it pulls the rug out on your ability to make your life count. It exposes you. It's offensive because it makes it clear that you don't have what it takes. Jesus is the only one whose life counted. His record was spotless, beautiful, and righteous. He was utterly pleasing to God, and he died in your place. The offense of the cross, the cross offends us to freedom because it exposes the depths of our helplessness and shows us that we must come to the end of ourselves. It puts to death being ruled by success or being dominated by failure. It breaks the power of self and reigning sin and it sets you free. Flannery O'Connor She wrote what is considered to be the best short story ever written. It's called A Good Man is Hard to Find. But the end of the story is rather troubling. Because it's about a family that's on vacation in Florida. And they had this minor auto accident on a remote road. And they're discovered by a group of escaped prisoners. And each member of the family, one by one, is murdered. But the narcissistic grandmother, who is the main character of the story, she babbles insipidly trying to flatter the head thug, getting him to spare her life. When the grandmother realizes that her life is about to come to an end, she finally becomes real, perhaps for the first time in her empty life. And at the core of her being, she's actually caring and loving and compassionate and authentic. But it takes this desperate circumstance for anything genuine to emerge in her life. And just after he shoots her, he says this, to his companions. She would have been a good woman if there had been someone there to shoot her every minute of her life. (laughs) She'd have been a great person. She'd have been a free person if someone had been there to shoot her every minute of her life. Well, that's actually you and I. So what does it take to be transformed into a free person? It takes a desperate circumstance to emerge, a desperate reality, and that is the cross, the offense of the cross. The cross is the only gun 
It is the only power that can kill your self-effort that enslaves you. The cross is the only thing that can bring you to the end of yourself. Not so that out of the core of your being, your true beauty can come out, but so that true beauty and freedom can be pressed into the core of your being so that you can be made new and made free. And it's not just getting the gospel once. But it's getting the gospel in every broken place in your life, in every dysfunctional relationship, in every suffering, in every sorrow, in every unforgiveness, in every resentment, in every irritation. It's the fence of the cross, is the gun, it's the power we need. Nothing in my Hands I bring simply to the cross I cling naked come to thee for dress and helpless look to thee for grace foul I to thy fountain fly and wash me Savior I die free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.